Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to No Lesson Plan, another episode. And today I have uh, my dear friend, known him for a long time, Master Sensei Fer Ortega. How are you, man? In the flesh, man. I'm happy in to be flesh. here with you. <laughs> yes, yes. Fer in the flesh. And, awesome, uh, awesome, awesome. I'm so happy, so happy, man, because we were just catching up after what? We said like 10 years, perhaps, without catching up, without knowing anything. That's we right. We didn't even know how our lives had ended up, but it's, I mean, this is a miracle of technology to, to be in touch again, Leo. So Absolutely. Happy to be here. And it's yes. a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I mean, we see each other on Facebook. We like each other's posts and stuff like that, but catching up like this, it's been a while, man. It's been a really big while. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a little bit more of an introduction. I'll tell everybody. Um, I met Fer back in 2007, I think. I, I might have been 23. And this yeah. is when I was just wow. starting to teach and I was doing the conversation clubs and um, I, I, you know, someone was absent one day and I didn't know what to do in that class. And I was like, Fed, what do I do? Fed <laughs> <And laughs> was always there. You know, yes. he's one of the uh, one of those senseis that everybody needs. You know, when you're Thanks. starting out like, hey, what can I do? What activities? What? So um, Fer has played a pivotal role in my uh, professional life and my personal life in many aspects. The one and only Fer. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself, Fer. Well, like you said, my dear Leo, I've been a teacher trainer and I've been in the teaching world for so long. I can hardly remember, perhaps uh, 32, 33 years of my life. Uh, Thank God I look younger because I'm not. (laughs) I think that's one of the things I love about teaching that that teaching keeps you young, you know, keep, keeps you like working with a young spirit. I think we are some sort of uh, blood sucking or life sucking vultures who take this <laughs> energy from, from our students, you know, yeah. and uh, yeah, in a good sense, you know, and, uh, and I think, I mean, it's like you, for instance, it's been like you just said, 23 years, 24 years since I met you and you still look the same, man. Exactly the same. You look as young as as, as 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 the way you looked 23 years ago. So, so teaching that's one of the beauties of teaching. And and well, I come from a family of teachers, professors too, retired professors, both my my PNM. And uh, so I started teaching when I was way too young. Must have been like 18. And and like you also said, and you said well. Education in Mexico, especially English language teaching, was so different back then because it wasn't even professionalized by the time I started teaching English. Uh, There wasn't a BA in ELT and stuff like that. So uh, what we basically had was some some, uh, teacher certificates and uh, granted by institutions such as uh, the Mexican North American Institute in Mexico City that had links to the American embassy and the uh, British Council and the uh, Anglo-Mexicano de Cultura in those, in those years. And then eventually, years later, some universities, you know, like professionalized ELT, and they began to offer BAs in, in, in ELT, which is the one I had. I hold a, a BA in English language teaching, and, and then I studied a master's in online project management at Ibero here in Leon. And right now I'm working on, on a PhD in, in human development. And uh, I'm like 50% already in the PhD program. And, uh, awesome. Well, I'm, I'm the head of a, of a language department at a state university here in Leon, here in Guanajuato, which is the Universidad Virtual del Estado de Guanajuato. Cool. So I'm a servidor público also. And, uh, and it's been, you know, a great adventure because, uh, because well, I'm in charge of a, of a, a department, an English language teaching department that uh, we produce so many courses, especially uh, MOOC courses on different languages. And we have uh, state projects coming, coming up soon. So uh, it's pretty cool, you know, so teaching has given me so many beautiful things that have nothing but being grateful for them, you know. Teaching is just beautiful, man. It's just such it a is. beautiful life. It is. It is. It, I think it's it, like we know it's a calling, but uh, I think that those of us who really wanted to teach, you know, or started something professionally that is related to teaching, not like fall into teaching because uh, you are unemployed and you don't have anything to do. No, like we, we really decided to teach is because we find 
like meaning in the things we do. And that's our legacy. It's like being a dad, you know, I have my kids, you have yours. It's, it's something similar. It's like living something there. So, you know, you'll be living for good one day, but somehow you'll stay. Who knows? Maybe we have a chance to come back wow. when we are cat, when we are cats. <laughs> Yeah, right. You, you've always been a, a really meaningful person, Fer. You've always been really spiritual, you know, always a lot of wisdom comes out of you. You're like an old soul to me. You know, I mean, you've been on, you know, many generations here, probably. Um, tell us about your beginnings in teaching. How did you get involved? Now, you just mentioned a little bit that you wanted to teach. How did that I happen? How to. did you? How? how from where? where uh, you said you had a, you come from a family of teachers. That was, that was my, my role models. That. I grew up, you know, I grew up in a school. Like when I was a kid, I used to be like attend a couple of different schools, one in the morning and one, one in the afternoon with my dad. I was not enrolled as a special student, but I was, I, I loved going to school with him just, just to be with my dad. So now that I think about it, I spent like my whole days at a couple of schools, you know, like at the facilities. And I spent more time there than in my house. And uh, so as I grew up and I learned English when I was a teenager, and I remember at that time, I was uh, after finishing uh, this like teacher certificate when I first studied at this Mexican North American Institute, I was also studying engineering at UNAM. And uh, because in, the, in that time, my, my, my plan was, was to be an engineer. And eventually that changed when I noticed that uh, I really love teaching and, and this uh, social construction of, of meaning that I found in teaching. Because somehow I think that what happened is that by performing my first trials in teaching, I think I noticed that that's what gave meaning and my identity. You know, I, I, really, I really felt connected to people and uh, on the other hand, being an engineer didn't really give me that social aspect and that interaction that I needed perhaps to, to, to find who I really was. And uh, so must have been perhaps when I was 20, 21, you know, after having these great uh, uh, teachers who were like, like, like the best role models I could have in, in, in many schools, I remember one of them, uh, his name was Pepe Redondo, and, and this professor was amazing. Everybody was afraid of him. So, uh, and he's the one I chose to do my practice teaching with, and uh, the first one. And I remember this is something I always tell my, Why? my students. Why? <laughs> no, he was the scariest, but, but I, I've always liked challenges. So I was sure he was the one who would give me more things you know, to learn, despite failing or despite, I don't know, suffering from, from a bad score in the end. I, I, I knew I was kind of jeopardizing my future, but at the same time, I felt I was not because, because I knew I would get so many great things from this professor. So I went, I looked for him and I asked him if he wanted to be my coach somehow, and uh, he accepted it. He uh, put it very clear. He said, well, are you sure you really want me to be the one? I said, yeah, man. So I remember, I remember him saying to me, okay, so listen, listen up. The first, on the first day of classes, you'll come to just be here, like comfortably seated. And listen, you're listening to me. I'll give an introduction. You don't have to worry about anything. I said, are you sure, Pepe, you want me to like prepare something, like an activity, a warm up, something? No, no, no. No, I just want you to listen to my introduction and, uh, and then I'll be giving you instructions for the next days to come. Okay. So I go there, you know, I'm relaxed, sitting at the back of the classroom. And this guy begins. And he's, like, introducing himself. He's welcoming the students, et cetera, et cetera. And suddenly he says, okay, I'm done with my introduction now. I'm going to leave the class. Uh, so here I want to introduce you to your new teacher. He's going to be in charge of today's lesson. And okay. he says that. And I have nothing prepared. <laughs> nice. So wow. he just, you know, wow. he just like, like, like throws me, yeah, throws me to the ocean full of sharks. Oh my goodness. Because he wanted to see if I could improvise something. Okay. You know, it's like, 
what you were saying is, is just as if I had told you, oh, okay, Leo, you don't know what to do. Oh, please come with me to my class. I'll tell you what to do. And once you're inside, I say, okay, guys, this is Leo. He's your teacher. I'll be back in one hour. Bye-bye. And I leave, no? <laughs> wow. But she was there. Do? I don't remember, man. I think I, I blocked that memory uh, because uh, I, I don't really know what happened. But there's one, but there's one, <laughs> but there's one thing. <laughs> yeah, man, I blanked out. But there's one thing, or passed out, I don't know. But there's one thing <laughs> I, I do remember, you know. After that day, after that day, I never went into a classroom without having something in mind. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. You know, as harsh as it was, as, as, as unprepared as it might have been, I always thought about something like kind of lesson plan, at least in my, in my head. So I knew, okay, so what if my scenario is like this? Okay. I'll try to do this. What if that, this doesn't work? Well, I could do this. So I, there was always something I, I had in mind. And, uh, and I think that's what really matters not to be, uh, not to be left out of ideas and always have something in your mind, something to share because after all teaching is sharing, no? Just yeah, like the book, yeah. caring and sharing. If if you teach, it's because you care. Yeah, Moskowitz, she was my 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 goddess, you know, in teaching. Yeah. Uh, I always was a fan of humanistic education, and and that's what really, really, really got me about teaching. And Fed, where do your ideas come from? I mean, I remember one that you taught me that I'm going to mention along the line somewhere, but um, and uh, one of the best activities you know, that I continue to implement with. Yeah. So uh, where, I mean, how do you cook up these ideas and give us some examples of that? Yeah. Well, I've always, I've always thought that every single thing we learn in life, the only way to learn it is to share it right away. Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm, for instance, reading uh, Byung Chul Han, yes, this guy who's like my God now, uh, okay. a modern philosopher, I'll tell you later about this guy. But okay. if I read a book which is amazing, the worst thing I can do is put it back on, in my, my bookcase. Yeah, I have to find someone to give it to, and uh, wow. and the thing and the thing comes with knowledge. So I remember that every single thing I I learned from my from my former professors, if there was something that I I said, wow, this is amazing, I immediately wrote it down, and then I try to give it to somebody. Wow. And and after giving it to somebody. I did remember, and then it stayed there forever. That's one thing. The same happened with books because I'm a bookworm. So I've, I've you know, that I also work yeah. for the publishing industry, and I was a marketing manager in ELT. And I remember that every time I was in a, in a new office, uh, I would always, you know, come even if it was Oxford, either if it was Oxford University Press or Richmond Publishing, or Bookmart, or any of these uh, publishing companies where I had the pleasure of, of working, I would always take a look at, at the bookcases and said, okay, what do these guys have, you know, that I can that I can steal and take away with me when I finish working <laughs> <it>. <laughs> And well, I yeah, see your collection me, right behind oh, you. Yeah, my collection <laughs> is here. So, so for instance, if I choose one just randomly, okay, this one, the lexical approach, Lewis, yeah? Nice, yeah. So uh, I already signed it, even if I stole it, you know, because nobody would really <laughs> miss it. Nobody was going to miss it, you know. So I yeah. think if you're going to steal something, um, make it culture. <laughs> Share it with somebody. I know. So all of them are here, you know. And you can, I mean, whatever you want. So obviously the books I, I kept over here yeah. are books on methodology, books on on. on on teaching English, on TESOL, and things that I can use for myself, for like uh, fellow teachers, or many of the trainees that have been with me, because uh, in most of the schools I was, in the past especially, I, I had the opportunity to, to work with, with new teachers and, and train them on, on ELT and, and give them ideas. And, and you know, it was always, it was always worth doing it. Yeah, yeah so I think those two things, those two things, yeah, experiences and and books and sharing and sharing okay. these ideas. Talking to others, because I'm sure that, you know, when you share something, Fer, they come, perhaps some of them, some people have come back at you with something like, hey, Fer, check this out. Yeah, just get a lot of this. One of my first like major teaching jobs 
was uh-huh. at the Universidad de las Americas in Mexico City. Okay. I was in shock because, because in those, I mean, in those days, if you wanted to apply at a job, you had to go to the yellow pages, you know, make a list and then call them directly. There were, we didn't even have cell phones. Yeah. Or like go to school directly with your CV in your hand yeah. and say, okay, this is my name. I'm inter- interested in, in, in having an opportunity here. Do you think this is possible? So I remember calling one day like 20 different universities in Mexico City. And when the language director picked up my phone call uh, at the uh, Universidad de las Americas, he said, you know what? Uh, we might have a possibility. Come see me tomorrow. So I went nice. to see him and that's it. I got a job. I stayed there for five years. I was uh, the youngest teacher in a teaching staff of doctors and, and, and masters and so I felt, you know, like I felt like I was in paradise, but it was also threatening because uh, I knew these guys knew everything. And I remember like when introducing myself in the first meeting, I told these guys, please, I'd be honored if you corrected my mistakes. If, if every time I make a mistake, uh, whether it's uh, with my English or whether it's about teaching, whatever you want to teach me, I am already thanking for it in advance. And they always did. And these guys were like like moms and dads, you know? And uh, yeah, that was an awesome experience. So I was there you know, for five years. Yeah, you, you just mentioned something that, that caught my attention. How you approached them and you mentioned I would be honored if you could correct me. Yeah. You know, I think, I think having that openness, I think having... Uh, uh, an open mind to receive, you know, uh, I don't know, feedback, exactly. Positive feedback or even negative. You know, I take everything very positively, even when it's negative stuff, you can turn it into something positive. But I think when you do that, you know, people, people open up to you, even the hardest shells, when you go up to them and you say, Hey, you know what? Uh, I'm young. (laughs) If you, if there's something I can improve, please, you know, please, uh, uh, I would welcome it, you know? Um, I think that's a really good tip, Fer. That's that is, really you know, to, to give to people. Now that you put it that way, I I immediately thought of uh, Michael Toomey, a uh, professor who was there and eventually became one of my best friends. But he was an amazing professor. And, uh, and he was like that. He was a little bit harsh at the beginning when he didn't know who I was. And, and, and after this meeting, he totally changed with me. And, and it's funny because years later, uh, when I was a, a, a marketing manager, an ELT manager, I remember even hiring Michael and, and touring with him, uh, giving talks and stuff. And, and one thing I, I remember that I learned from Michael, among so many things, probably the most precious one, is this idea that there are only two kinds of teachers, artists and technicians. That was his thesis. And he said, okay, let me put it this way first. If you're a technician, you do everything wow. perfect. You keep the pace of the class. You, you are excellent at writing lesson plans. Uh, your coordinators will love you, okay? Because you do what you're supposed to do. You are very precise, very structured. And the other type is the artist. So that's the teacher who's going to inspire students You know, that's a teacher, the professor who's going to be loved by most of his students, but he's going to eventually become a nightmare to his coordinators because uh, he's the one, you know, who goes against the established rules. And he's the one who wants to do uh, everything according to his own style. And and he doesn't like to be judged by by the way he performs. He just uh, wants to give results at the end. So... Yeah. The question is, which of these two is the best? And he said, none. They are both good, but none of them is the ideal professor. The ideal one has to be in the middle, okay? Has to have a little bit of these two types. Yeah. You have to be an artist 
an inspired teacher, your students, but you also have to be a, a good administrator. You have to be a professional person. You have to plan your lessons. You have to keep uh, uh, track of time. You cannot just uh, improvise all the time. Yeah, you have to you have to know how to improvise, like I did the hard way with Pepe Arredondo, you know, back in the days. And but you must prepare yourself. So that's that's what Michael Michael taught me with his. Uh, with his idea of the two types of teachers. Very interesting. The yes, artisan sir. and the technician and a killer yes. combo is, is having a bit of both, right? That would be the best. Yes, Which one are you good. today? <laughs> that's, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I guess I'm like a mutant, but uh, I, keep <laughs> I keep struggling. But if, but if I come this far, Leo, if I come this far to be, to be the head of the language center at Tubeg and... and and be able to work on my PhD. I think I've I've come a little bit, if not uh, to the ideal 50%, perhaps I'm like around the 40%. Yeah. Also my spiritual side, like you mentioned, that's helped because uh, yeah. martial arts like Aikido being an instructor, being a sensei also, and, and having my Buddhist philosophy, all of those things I think have helped me a lot, not just professionally, but personally. Absolutely. I mean, what, what, how long have you been doing Aikido? Aikido. Uh, first time I walked into a dojo was Mexico City in '93. Wow. So, but but then I had to stop doing Aikido because I moved to Leon. There was no dojo here. Then I went for a couple of years to Aguascalientes, and I stumbled across a former uh, sensei I had had in. Mexico City. He was just opening his dojo after moving from Mexico to Aguascalientes. And I trained with him for one year. And then when I came back to Leon in 2004, uh, again, there was no dojo. So uh, from 2004 to 2010, yeah. there was no Aikido dojo in Leon. And then boom, surprisingly, one day, one dojo opens and it opens like, like a block from my house. Nice. I was the first person signing up, you know, and, and I've been ever since there for 11 consecutive years. Wow. And part of that Aikido family. Man. Wow. So, so spiritually the dojo came to you. Exactly. And it was, it, and it was, uh, no, no, please, please go ahead. No, 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 please, please, please. It was what? Yeah. I, the, the way I found out about the dojo was like magical, man. Like, like in a movie, I remember walking, you know, walking to have some tacos, like, my girlfriend came, well, my former girlfriend, and, and we went out to get some tacos. And as we were walking to the taqueria, I was telling her precisely about Aikido, about how much I wanted to go back to that and how many years he had been in Leon and, and you know, not being able to find a dojo. And, and trust me, man, the moment I'm telling her that, we, we walk past this uh, small mall like that has some, some, some stores, I look up and I see a huge dojo, a local that says, Aikido. Wow. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's like revelation, man. Revelation. Yeah. It was. That is so intense. That is super is, intense. Man. Yeah. T tell me about the relationship between you doing Aikido and your teaching. Has it influenced somehow? Yes, a lot. How? A lot because, because uh, one of the things that Aikido teaches you is not to compete with anybody, but with yourself. So there's no point in trying to overcome anybody. There's no point in antagonizing others. There's no point in, in trying, trying to get more than somebody else. The point is to share. The point is to be better with myself. Today I have to be a better version of myself. So. I have to be able, obviously, I have to be reflexive enough to identify the areas that I must improve. And we as teachers, that's what we do. Okay, we are there not to impose an, an idea, not to impose knowledge, not to force people to get something that we might not even have ourselves. We are there to let them know that there's a huge, beautiful world out there yeah. for them to discover 
but this discovery has to be and has to come as part of a real interaction where they have to take everything, you know, everything they can, and and they have to somehow shape a conception, their own conception of things, and then throw back the monster they have created themselves, and that's the knowledge. Wow. So like like constructivism, no? Like yeah. like metaphorically explained. I think I think that's what it is. And Aikido teaches you that because while most martial arts uh, teach you to, to strike, you know, like Cobra Kai, which I love, by the way, but uh, let's see the show. Yeah, man, I was, yeah, I was a fan of them. So uh was my days, you know. So, uh, well, yeah, even despite loving that, I know that that's not what I'm into because uh, I don't believe in competition. I do believe in, in, in sharing. I do believe Aikido teaches you that because yeah. while practicing the moves, the techniques and, and submissions and everything, you are actually thanking the other guy for letting you use his or her body and, and take the suffering that you're about to give him so that both of you can benefit from the experience because you will be, you will get this benefit from knowing how to apply the technique and he will prepare his body for more pain without getting hurt <laughs> <laughs> you know that is so look I, I understand what you're saying it's beautiful but it, it sounds so strategic like you're walking into <laughs> a world of pain buddy it's like you're walking into a world of pain <laughs> i know sounds like yeah sounds like sounds me sounds like miyagi and uh, these guys right yeah. it and, is and um you mentioned another really cool point that I want to touch on, and that's your Buddhist beliefs. Um, does that transfer into the language classroom as well? How? Oh yeah, oh yeah, man, big time, big time. I uh, <clears throat> came across Buddhism after having one of those. Uh, I'm, not, I'm sure you know about one of those uh, crises, existential crises, no? A huge one. <laughs> I, I know you. <laughs> you know, one of those things that, that we absolutely, Ped. You know, yeah, well, yeah, one of those crises we, as as romantic professors, you know, like fall into at times. <laughs> and, at times, I know, man. I had always been spiritual, but uh, but in 2013, you know, I I found out about Buddhism and I came to this sangha here in Leon, which is called Casa Tibet. Okay. It's a representation from, from the Tibet, Tibet government. And, and in this association, I began to, to practice meditation first. And then I attended the Sangha. I took the initial the introductory course and then the uh, intermediate one. Then suddenly became a student and began to attend lessons there for like a year and a half. Then because of time, I had to somehow postpone it, but not, not the reading and the meditation because I keep on doing that. Yeah. And, and that's opened my eyes in many ways. It's, you know, like giving me the possibility of identifying emotions and feelings really like from what they really are and not from what I think they are. So when you understand emotions and feelings like that, you see them as if you were watching a movie, okay? You are not, you are not reactive anymore. So uh, if you feel bad, if you feel sad, okay, you accept the emotion, but you see the emotion as, as a passenger that is walking by. Okay. And, and eventually it will, it will be gone. And if you don't see it as part of you, but you see it as, as something that is just passing by, I think you don't personalize the sadness or the anger, or you don't look for retaliation, or you don't look for constant confrontation. You don't need that. Okay. You, you just let it go. Aikido does something similar because in Aikido, every single move we learn in Aikido is like, there's one, one requirement, which is you have to look at the same direction the other person is. So okay. it's like, I want to see life from your perspective, which is actually violence that is coming towards me. But I okay. somehow like get into the energy of the, the, the yes, this energy of your movement. And we look at the same direction. And in that moment, 
I can see your point of view. And then I show you when I apply the technique, I show you now my point of view. And in the end, <laughs> once you're on the floor, and once you're on the floor, it's like in that okay, world of pain. Yeah, okay, you cannot move, you have pain, but I haven't broken anything yet. I don't okay. want to do it. Just chill out, man. We are okay. And that's it. And you finish there. Okay. Okay. So Buddhism is something similar because by meditating, because now I'm I'm a fan of mindfulness, which is very yeah. similar to Buddhism. It's, it's the Occidental version of, of Buddhism. People okay. who, who brought Buddhism to, to the United States and Canada, they had to somehow eliminate the religious part of it so that those who didn't, you know, like, like somehow agree with the teachings of, of Buddha and stuff like that, mm-hmm. they, they would still be interested in meditation and they wanted to try it. So mindfulness was created. And okay. now and now I'm a big fan. I'm doing now a diplomado on mindfulness and okay. uh, because I'm also interested in that for the future, like teaching mindfulness and meditation to children. You, you know, I've come, I've stumbled upon a couple articles on that recently. That's you know, mindful, m- mindfulness to reduce anxi- uh, anxiety and language learning, things like that. Um, yeah, because you so, lower the effective, the effective uh, filter. And people can absolutely. respond better. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's all about being relaxed in the classroom. It's all about, you know, um, being comfortable, being comfortable with whom you are and, and bringing your persona, your identity to the classroom um, to share with others. Right now, let's get, let's get into your classroom, Fer. How would you describe your class nowadays? Nowadays, I think it's a combination of uh, having fun, in a ludic, uh, philosophical way. <laughs> I think, okay. Yeah, H- I think... How is uh, that? What do you mean by that? It's become very meaningful. I think uh, the content changes. You know, like, whenever I teach English, for instance, the class I just finished teaching a few minutes ago before, before I go online with you, that was a level nine. Uh, the class is called Job Hunting because it's based on a book from uh, Cambridge University Press called Job Hunting. And this okay. class is for the level nine students who are like actually having their last, their final uh, now, English class before graduating. Yes. Uh, yes. When you say level nine in the common European framework, more or less, yeah. what does that equate to? That would probably be like a B1, between okay. B1 and B2. Okay. Yeah, this, the school doesn't go farther than that. I because think that's of, good uh, because that, that's more realistic. You know, those schools is. that claim uh, we'll take you to C1 and stuff, uh, that's bogus. That, that's for C2. the birds, man. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so they're finishing level nine. You're doing job Finishing hunting. level nine and uh, like soon to graduate. And they have to learn about the real, you know, the real world out there once they want to apply for a job. Uh, once they, uh, because for instance, they don't even know what a cover letter is because that's one of the things we don't use in Mexico. We don't use a cover letter. We just send a CV and we think that's it. And many of them doesn't even know the difference between a CV and a resume. So, and so not the least they know about cover letter or like a thank you note or an email note or something like that. So yeah, that's, that's the topic we have to work on. And and we have a ESP uh, material, a book that we follow, but I just don't, you know, like limit it to that. I try to spice it up with many, many things. For instance, if I learned about flip learning, well, I want to use some techniques from flip learning and I want to try some hybrid theories. And then I assign some videos, like at the end of one class, I want that they have to watch them. And then when they come, I just give them the practice. So, so they, they already got, got the knowledge by watching a video for homework. And when they come to class, it's all about practicing now. It's all about okay. practicing. So uh, I use a lot of gamification, obviously, because, uh, yeah. because it is absolutely essential on, on, it's fun. on, on virtual education. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise, totally fun. Of, yeah. And, and nowadays, you know, that's one of the biggest problems with online teaching that, that many great professors and educators are not properly trained yet. So yeah. they just try to, they just try to do the same, you know, like they do on face-to-face teaching. They want to yeah. do it on online teaching. And that's the biggest mistake because it's not the same to be a professor or a teacher and 
a tutor or a, an assessor, whichever way you want to call it, because it has different names. Yeah. And you really, you have to know about instructional design. You have to know about uh, theories of education, such as we already mentioned hybrid uh, learning, uh, flipped learning, gamification. You have to know about applications. You have to know how to use them. So if you know how to combine all of these elements and then you use your personal style, like in my case, you know, philo a philosophical, spiritual style, you know, like having yoga and teaching English in a sexy way. <laughs> that's important. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that's important. And I once learned about this... Uh, you're a master at this. Listen right? to this, man. There's this concept from Spain. There's this uh, this this lady called. Uh, let me see if I remember her name. Oh, she came to Leon and she gave us yeah, a yeah. course on on pedagogia sexy. That's the name, sexy pedagogy. Now and, you gotta uh, tell us what is that. Tell us, tell the audience. <laughs> well, well, basically, this this theory she had, man, was it had because related to sex, but it was related to giving students not only engaging activities or motivating things, but like fulfilling their expectations, okay? So if you are like, in, as we were in that time in Luke's, a Jesuit school, we were working with, with uh, teenagers, yeah? In high school, in senior high school. Okay, well, what do they expect from a class? They expect from the class to be dynamic, to be fun, to be entertaining, to laugh. Well, that's what you have to give them. So you have to first identify, really identify what their lives are like and, and you know, what their likes are about. Because the biggest problem is being a teacher and not knowing your students that well. Yeah. If there is this huge gap between you and your students, there won't be communication, man. It's like yeah. a bad marriage. And we know about that. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we know about that too. <laughs> Let me interrupt you real quick. Remember, do you yes. remember that one time I subbed you for like two weeks in that yeah. high school? Yes. My goodness. You know, I remember when I went to observe your classes, I, I could get familiar with the students and you had like, you had their full attention, every single one of them. And they respected <laughs> yeah. your class. They were so they respected cool, your, And they were into you. Like they weren't just uh -huh. into the class. They were into you, Fed. Yeah, and they're remember, like my nephews and nieces. My goodness, but they you had their full attention. Like how many kids were there? Like 25, 30? I don't know. 25, remember. 30. Yeah, they yeah. were like from 25 to 40, depending on the class. But but they were all focused on you, Fer. And I was sitting in the back. I remember that and I was like, hmm, that's easy. That's cool. Yeah, I can totally do that. Here comes Monday when I had to sub you. No. <laughs> well, I know, no. man. That was that was in Luke's, right? That was precisely yeah, that was, there. That that was at one school, and um, that's when I found out that I would never do high school. It's like I couldn't handle them. Not, I mean, and you made it look, man. You would do it so easy. You do it. Maybe, man. maybe now, yes. Maybe yes, now, yes. But I'm back sure. in that day, no. I just yeah. I, no back then, no. Yeah, I knew that I was going to choke one of those kids sooner or later, so I couldn't <laughs> do it. I'm an adult language. Uh, uh, an uh, instructor facilitator but anyway coming back to uh, ped uh sexy pedagogy well yeah now that we talked about sexy i think i applied that without even knowing about it and and i just recall that from what you were saying because i was solving for this teacher once at another school a private school yeah for a couple of days yeah. and so i get to class and the first thing i wanted to do was to organize like some sort of a warm-up activity like game to have fun a, a really fun game and uh because i wanted them to feel you know like comfortable enough and i remember coming to this classroom and there's this kid sitting like in front of my desk with his headphones on immediately defying me you know like saying i won't take them off bitch. oh man so i look at him as i'm talking and introducing myself and i go like okay i'm not gonna give you the attention you want kid so you will not exist. So I forget about it. Yeah. The other kids were like, you know, like waiting to see if I was going to react to that. The reaction. So, no, no, no reaction. And they're no like problem. this. They're like, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. And he's saying, no, he's not going to tell him anything. No, I didn't. So I explained the game. You know, I gave a few uh, uh, mocking exercises about it so that they, they would really know what to do. And once the game started, everybody went crazy, you know? 
if I had planned to have like two or three rounds only because it was supposed to be just working on report, I ended up having like five or six rounds of that game. But by the third round, man, this kid had already, you know, like taking, taking, taking off one of his uh, earbuds like this. <laughs> and he was looking at every, all of us, no? Yeah. Then by the fourth round, he was not wearing them at all. And then he comes to me and he says, excuse me, professor, uh, could I join you? I said, yeah, please go ahead, enjoy. So he comes, you know, he begins to play with it, all of them. Well, this kid was the same one that after one week working with them, came to give me a hug and he said, I really love your class. Could I, could I have your Facebook? Could I be in touch with you? And yeah. he was the hardest one. He was the hardest one. But the problem there, had I been the typical traditional professor, what would have happened? Nothing. Absolutely. This kid would have had been taken out of the classroom. He would have spent the next days, you know, like feeling forced to be there, not learning anything, hating yeah. the subject. So I think one tiny, you know, like like action that we decide to do differently changes the whole thing. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Absolutely. You know, Fer, um, very valuable what you're sharing right now. Like keeping your cool, changing the script, you know, relaxing you as a person, you know, because sometimes a lot of people tend, perhaps, I don't know, but they could take it personally right away, right off the bat. I know many teachers that have done so. Yeah. Lost their cool, lost their temper. Heck, it happened to me, you know, lost my course, man. It, yeah. yeah, me too. We're and like constantly evolving, no? Absolutely. And what you just described, I think this is a, a, a hot tip. This is like, not a hot tip. This is like fundamental you know to teaching to always keep your cool there is no reason why the teacher should ever get aggressive in any sort of way with anybody confrontational never because it's not a personal thing you know it's yeah. never personal this kid he, he didn't even know who i was so there was no way he could have hated me or like have you know something against me it was just that he had his own issues and and we tend to forget that you know mm-hmm. we all do we all do even when we like close cycles sometimes we don't close them well and we mm-hmm. personalize everything like oh you know i had to break up because she did this to me and we always blaming somebody no or like yeah. i was i was i was fired of this school because because uh, uh they, they, they they felt like threatened by my presence but then in the end, after rationalizing things and, and trying to understand them from another perspective, you go like, well, I wasn't, I wasn't well either. I also made a lot yeah. of mistakes. Absolutely. I shouldn't have said this. I shouldn't have done that. Now yeah. I can understand it. Absolutely. But it takes time um, and to be a fuck up at times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, was lie, talk- I-, I was just talking to a friend about that earlier today. Um, very cool friend, you know, we just became friends, uh, um, very recently and we were talking about that, you know, that growth, it seems as though growth comes out of, um, pain, pain and suffering, man, out of the bad no pain, no gain more than, more than when you're well, you know, um, well, in Buddhism, I learned about, about this, uh, and to put it in simple, in simple ways. There's only, two ty- there's only two types of experiences again. Yeah. Those that bring you happiness and those that bring you knowledge. And in the end, knowledge is happiness as well because you will be wiser. Yeah. Nothing no, is not good and bad. It is like uh, happy experiences and, and, and learning experiences, which are the bad ones. Yeah? Okay. Because in the end, we change. We trans- yeah. we, we, we transform ourselves. Very interesting, Fer. Now, Fer, um, I don't know. Tell, tell us some of uh, the challenges that, you've, that you have faced in recent years uh, inside the classroom. Challenges? Probably, probably learning uh, about virtual education. That's, that's what moved me to study a master's on that on online project management because, because I was, you know, I was hesitating whether to study that or maybe something about psychology. 
but but somehow I was I was concerned about the dehumanized side of virtual education, you know, like mm. being usually cold and uh, lacking interaction and making students feel like they were left alone and isolated. And this is, I mean, undoubtedly, this is the reality we are facing these days and, and it's gonna get bigger and bigger because this pandemic or pandemic, like a friend of mine from Alabama says, he says, pandemic. <laughs> yeah, basically they call it pandemic or the pandemic, you know? Yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah, you have two ways to call it. Well, we might have some other ones and worse. And yeah, absolutely. So he, what worries me is that this can be very cold and narcissistic, like this guy says, being Chulhan, because okay. to begin, we're always looking at each other. You know, like I'm always looking at my face there. So as that? if I as if I were always exposed, you know, and when you go to teach, you know, you're not like looking at yourself. Right? Absolutely. Unless unless you had a big mirror on the other side of the wall of the classroom look facing you. Pro probably not. <laughs> probably not. Yeah, <laughs> that you'd be teaching not. like I know in the dancing uh, room, no, but uh, right. But here we're always looking at each other. I mean, I can see myself and yeah. I expect people to like the way I look. So the experience becomes very cold and, and we all look the same, you know? Yeah. This, this, uh, this concept of, of the differences of, of like finding meaning to your own identity by comparing yourself to many others who are different and unique. Yeah. This concept is, is getting lost on, on virtual environments because people are not humanizing them. So everything is becoming colder. And I think that's what we have to change. So I think that's the biggest challenge. It, it, it's a huge challenge. And everything you just said right now about that cold side of online education, teaching, learning, um, you basically described my MA experience. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Really? I, I took, yeah. I took an MA uh, from 2015 to 2017, and it was asynchronous. So, I mean, we never had... Mine was you know, too. Mine was too. Mm -hmm. We never had these meetings. You know, I never saw my teachers and I never, uh, my professors, and I never, I, I didn't hear from them, you know, until later, you know, and I wanted my feedback. I wanted to know if I was doing okay. well or not, you know, fortunately enough, I always did really well, but I don't know. It was like something was not Something right. was missing there, huh? You know, yeah, yeah. Now, too, I mean... On the flip side, I've always been more of an autonomous learner. I've always had a lot of agency for my own learning, you know, so. You've um, developed agency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, 20, but, but 23 years ago, perhaps you haven't, no? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, you, were, you, you were just like Leo the surfer. <laughs> that's right. And you remember know, that, man. right? When I had this down here, man. Oh my I envy man. you, man. I envy you. I've always that's one of the things I've always wanted to try. Surfing. Well, then go to the beach and take your classes. I'll man. do it. Take man. a bodyboard no. and just catch no, those I, waves. Could mm. I take also my twenty-five-year-old girlfriend? I think that might be good. <laughs> Fair. Let's get back into the talk, man. Yes. <laughs> um, all right, Fair. Um, tell us about your move to online teaching. When the pandemic hits, what happened and how did you uh, come through? Well, man, when the pandemic hit, uh, I wasn't like having the best moments of my life, professionally speaking, you know, like I had this feeling that my master's degree hadn't really paid back, you know, somehow because uh, I was not having too many opportunities or at least not the kind of opportunities that I wanted to, you know, okay. I was, yeah, teaching at a university and at a couple of them, a couple of private universities. And then when the pandemic hit, my life changed because we have this boom of, of, of the need, you know, to, to, to mutate our classes and to start using uh, platforms and, and to like see education from a completely different perspective. And then, because of my profile, 
many institutions began to look for me and offer me projects, interesting projects. And then I had applied, I remember, I had applied at UBEG as, first I applied as an instructional designer because that's what I had studied in my master's. But then uh, it came also this, this uh, position as, as the head of the language center because it was a new project. Uh, they, had, they had this uh, amazing project that took off back in 2015 and just like the pandemic, you know, like it grew up immensely and nobody was, wow. was able to control it. And uh, they had a Godzilla, you know, coming up and they had to look for somebody who could take over that Godzilla. And, uh, and that's when they found me, you know, we, we, we actually found each other at the, the perfect timing. And that was back uh, in July last year. Okay. And ever since I've been there at the VEF, like for almost a year, uh, I continue with my also part-time teaching at a university and uh, and so many projects coming, you know, day by day. So nowadays I'm thankful because uh, had and I studied my master's on that, the pandemic would have made a difference to me as, as much as perhaps just being worried about how it changed my teaching uh, knowledge so that I could do something online without knowing it. So thanks to that, I've been able to help many colleagues uh, to overcome uh, the fear no, of, of many of them, you know, not even knowing how to turn on a computer. We know that, yeah. especially these all sacred cows, no, that uh, professors, <laughs> yeah, man, professors, you know, they are in their 60s and, yeah. and, and they are amazing professors, but they don't, they don't know what to do. So, yeah. so that's what happened. My life drastically changed and it keeps and, on changing. You know, you keep mentioning helping, you know, like right now, once again, I mean, you've helped many of us, Fer. You, you've helped many oh, of man. us grow. You helped in, me also by being here today. I mean, you have no idea, Fer. I mean, I was heavily influ influenced by your uh, teaching style, you know, so cool, so nonchalant. You come to your class, you know, and everyone is so relaxed and, you know, talking about life and mixing it in with your language classes and stuff and um let me tell you about that before i forget let me tell you about that activity yeah the one you, you still remember i yeah. know which one it is but i'm not gonna well, say it I, 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 hold on <laughs> put it in the chat <laughs> what, what's it called the, the the oracle yes that one what the a one with beautiful, the dictionary yep 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 what yeah. a beautiful activity fed uh, let me explain the oracle really quick or you know what why don't you explain the oracle no no i want to see if you learn it well oh <laughs> uh, well Okay, so this is what I understood. Yes, 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 man. <laughs> this is what I understood. And the Oracle, basically, one day I was, you know, I was young back in the day and I was new to language teaching. So I knew nothing about lesson planning. You know, I had a notebook full of notes that I could not even read in that in the moment of teaching. So I'm scared out of my mind. I go to Fer and I say, Fer, what do I do for, I don't remember what grammar was it, what it was, but Fer... Like intermediate grammar. Yeah, you know. it, it was like some intermediate level. And first, like, all right, I'm going to give you a dictionary. And this is what you're going to do. Um, count the number of pages. Uh, choose a student. Okay. I have them tell you a number between one and the last uh, uh, page. And you open to that page. And then you tell them uh, left or right. And they'll say left or right. So left, right? And you count the number of words in, on that page. And they have to tell you a number between the first word and the last word so they tell you the word and you choose the word and you tell them and you read the definition and they have to try to um interpret what the oracle has told them about their lives through that word it's magical <laughs> it is magic it is magical man it is and i've been scared I even at times the way it works you know you know how many people cried in my every time i did that activity and throughout my uh teaching career I, and it's been quite a few because that one word hit them yeah. like hard, not just hit sends them, a, but hit it them sends hard. a message. It sends a message. And especially considering they have to actually use that word to try to solve a problem they are facing in that moment. If there's a yeah. situation that, that worries them, no, and they, they already mentioned it and, yeah. uh, and then the word comes, no. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously by taking the activity just the way the oracle was, because back in those days in ancient Greece, the oracle that used to be a priestess, 
was like the one in the on the Matrix, no? Uh, yeah, there was a black priestess there, no? Like like giving giving uh, tips and, and advice. So the oracle was never clear enough because they she would give like a word or like a phrase, and then the person had to use his or her own intelligence and and sensibility to decipher the message. And uh, and that was that was like your own will. You have to have the will and the wisdom to be able to get the message. Because if you are not sensible enough, you will not understand it or you will misunderstand it and consequently destroy everything, you know? It's really cool. And, and through this activity, Fer, let me tell you a little bit about what happened through this activity. Through this activity, I learned is no books teach you about activities like these, about these really deep, deep, meaningful activities for the students yeah. that touch their lives, that touch their uh, psychology, their spirituality. You know, teaching is very spiritual, as you know, Fer, right? It as is. I know. It's spiritual. I also remember a great professor, Pablo Caldera. He was a beautiful professor who was a partner of mine in Cumbres, in one of these uh, legionaries schools. And uh, he would be almost 70 years old, you know? Like he had this deep voice and he would come like, like looking so sharp every single day. You know, despite being very old, he was probably more, man. He was probably like 75, 76 years old. And he continued driving his own car, getting to his classes and working with spoiled kids, you know, like all men in a junior high school. So just imagine. And and then whenever you ask him, hey, Profe Calderas, so what's your secret? Why do you continue uh, teaching despite you know, having done it for so many years, you could be retired now. Like he said, no, because somebody has to love them. Teaching is an act of love. So the first thing you have to have is you have to love your students. You don't love them. You're not in the right place. Yeah. Simple and powerful, man. That is really simple and powerful. You know, this morning I was, uh, I love my groups right now, the groups that I have. Yeah. And I was thinking about them and I was like, man, I'm going to miss these guys. Yeah. You know, and then uh, later today, um, an ex student posted a picture of a beautiful group we had. A beautiful, we made such great click. And um, it was meaningful. The classes were beyond, you know, you know every, uh, I think it was every Monday or every Friday of the week. We would go to a little cafe and we would have class at a cafe you know, to change the setting. Uh, I mean, they're all adults, right? Um, just to, you know, uh, to clarify for the audience. And, you know, in San Miguel de Allende, there are cafes. Oh, there are many. Beautiful. And, so and many, beautiful, man. Mo- most of them, if not all of them, have great. I just, went to, I just went to one, man, <laughs> like three weeks ago. That was awesome. Cafe de Cajon is the name. It was awesome. Okay. awesome. Is, that, is that in Leon? No, in San Miguel de Allende, three weeks ago. I was there. I'm, I'm yeah. going to have to look it up. I'm going to have to yeah, look man, it up. Yeah, man, it's on It's on this street. Uh, wait, let me see if I remember the name. My hotel was there, Hotel Santana. I stay there. What's the yeah. name of that street? I'll I let don't you remember. know, but, yeah, but it's a cool place, man. Great breakfast so, and coffee and everything. Yeah, yeah, many great coffee places. Amazing. Coffee, I mean, we get along oh, really, man. really well. It's the best. That's another, like, that's on, another or like, or like on one of the, yeah, on one of those rooftops, that would even yeah. be better, man. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so, so we would go out and, and they remember, and this is wow. back in 2014, 13, something like that, a couple of years ago, but they still remember it and meaningfully. And I do too. I saw the pictures and I was like, guys, what a great class we had. And a connection, I don't know. man. That was an act of love. It is. And right now, when you mention you have to love your students, I don't only love teaching. I don't only love the, the whole process of it. I also love my students, Fed. Yeah. Every single because one that's, of them. Because that's where you see the result of, of what you love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're helping somebody. Here comes the word help again. Exactly. Yes. You know, you're, help, you're helping. And you're them. helping yourself. It's like self-redemption, Leo. 
it's it's <laughs> you know what you know where that goes yes <laughs> i know but, but i mean it's it's uh teaching is beyond and this is this is the reason why i wanted to talk to you fifth uh, I've, you know, I don't know if you've heard the uh, past episodes or whatnot, and everybody talks about, you know, their own, their levels, you know, different levels of teaching, you know, they, some of them focus on their activities, some of them focus on the process, um, some of them whom are doing research, they want to focus on the research projects, that's the first uh, episode, Isaac Frausto, my, my dear friend, and uh, he's a big research guy, and he loves, re- he bleeds research, man, oh, and, um, and that is awesome, but in your case, this is what we need because it's not only that there's also you know if you want to go to the deeper levels of teaching teaching is love teaching is spirituality it's spiritual you make a deep connection and you best believe that your students are going to remember you for the rest of their lives um but how fair how do we get to that level um i think you have to really embody those beliefs and take them to your personal life. If you don't, it's not like, it's not like something you learned. You really have to digest it, you know, like, like shaping your own mind and, and changing your life because it, it comes, it change come, comes from you. If, if you don't change the way you see life, if you change the things you do, if you don't try to, to be more positive every day to be a better version of yourself, you cannot pass anything to anybody. So we, we all learn many things every day, but sometimes we're not aware because we're blinded by other things. So today, if you think about the things you learned, I'm sure there are many things if you reflect on that, me yeah. too, me too. Absolutely. I try to remember every single learning experience I had today with the people I was with at the office in the morning. And then with my students later, when I was uh, on the phone with my girlfriend. So it's like, there was always something that if I analyze it carefully, it was learning. I learned something and that, that made me different. So now I think I have something, but I have to identify it so that I can give it to them. Because otherwise it's just like performing and performing is okay because that's one of the roles we have to play, but you cannot perform all the time. You have to be real. Yeah. The way you are, for instance, you are so real, man. And, and now you're a professor. Yeah. 23 years ago, you were like a surfer, yeah, this cool guy who was yeah. didn't know anything about teaching, no? Absolutely. <clears throat> but that he was, yeah, he was like like a combination of, of a cool Venice Beach guy, you know, and, and a backpacker in Mexico coming back to his to his place. Oh yeah? man, <laughs> to memories. Fight, to find, yeah, <laughs> to find to find his roots, no? Yeah, yeah and that's uh, right, man. Well, now you are a professor, you 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 have a master's degree, you are like into into a different life. But you keep your ass, you still Leo, you keep the same guy because, because we can see it. You know, we can see that in your personality, your spirit. You're still very young. You look very young. So without changing your, your actually essence, you can change many things and you can evolve and you can develop so many things. I think, I think there's no secret but that that. Would, would you say that uh, through mindfulness, you become aware of these things? Oh, yeah, man. A lot. So, I mean, this concept of mindfulness, so powerful and so it simple. Is. It and, is. I mean, I say simple, right? But, it, I mean, it takes a certain mentality to get there. Yeah, um, because I, I used to ask for things, you know? I used to ask the universe for things. I don't anymore. I thank now the universe. I only thank. I don't ask for anything. I don't need to. I only thank. And if I thank life, life gives me more things to thank for. Wow. Amazing, Fed. Amazing. What a great talk. Man. Really cool. Oh, this, man, this, awesome. Like, like, like awesome. I said, this goes beyond. It goes beyond the, the, the theory, the practice, you know, which is what we're taught. Um, and it goes into the human side, human psychology. You know, it goes into the combination. 
into the depths of the soul, right? Yeah. Fer, what, uh, what would be some final thoughts, um, some suggestions, perhaps, some tips, something that you would say to those coming into the profession, to the field? And I think you need a couple of things, empathy and love. Empathy and love. They are related. So if teaching means empathy and love to you, then you're in the right place. It doesn't really matter how you do it the first years of teaching, of your teaching life. It doesn't really matter if you struggle to learn many techniques and if you have to put up with nasty administrators or coordinators or authorities, because we all do. That's another talk. <laughs> that's another talk. Yeah, that's another, another talk for another, another talk. Do another you remember? Day, of course, you remember your talk uh, at one of the Mixtizos, which was the dark side of ELT. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. That was that was on, on burnout, no? In yeah, Puerto yeah, Vallarta. Yeah. In Vallarta, you were there. I remember seeing you there. And yeah, it was great, man. Because I, I we mean, talked about teacher burnout. It, it, it continues to be one of the best talks that I've ever been to. Oh, thanks, my man. Really it, like no, for, for real. I mean, the theory is the theory. The practice is the practice. But yeah. nobody talks about these things. Hey, well, now, now we do. Now we're uh, more vocal about it. There's the internet. We make memes. We talk about it. We, we express ourselves a little bit more. But back in the day, you just went flat out. Mixtizo, yeah. hey, guys, I'm here to talk to you about something. Yeah, just like that. Whether you like it or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yes. very interesting topics because we were all like, at the end, we we're like, yeah, let's make a syndicate. Like, this cannot go on anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm motivated though. We went to out there yeah. to the world to fight. Yeah, yeah like yeah. warriors of education. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was awesome. But yeah, empathy and love, you know? Okay. Because very you, well. for instance, you, yeah, you go, you go to one of these uh, conventions and you give a talk to your fellow teachers, you do it out of love. No one is paying you to do it. No. You know, I paid you pay to, do it. to travel. I mean, even the school, yeah. you know, like took some money off my paycheck for going. <laughs> so <clears throat> out of love, empathy. We pay because to you know give. what you know what the others go through, you know what they suffer about. Okay, you do something for them. And at the same time, you do it for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. You help others, you pay to help. Yeah. And if you love to do it, man, it doesn't feel like you're working and you get paid. You know, I, I haven't worked since I got back from the U.S. Exactly, yeah. man. Because you're doing what you love. It's out of love, man. Yeah. It's been wonderful talking to you. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all of this wisdom, this knowledge, Fer. Uh, you know, you continue to be very influential you know, to all those whom you have around on many levels, personal, professional, and it's, you're a very admirable person. Thank you. Thank you thank so you, much. My man. Thank you, my man. Thank it's you. been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much. Okay, everybody. Well, this has been another episode of No Lesson Plan. Thank you very much for tuning in. We hope, both Fed and I hope that you find this talk meaningful, that it touches your soul. And um, please go ahead and drop a message. The link is going to be in the description. Uh, if you want to talk to Fed, whatever, you can drop a message there. I'll relay, put you guys in touch, whatever. And well, thank you very much. This has been another show, another episode. See you next time.